Welcome to Scholastic Transmission, a college radio podcast, where we seek to provide you the tools to preserve and promote college radio. I'm Shane Garcia, and yet again, I am back at it with retired station advisor for 91.7 WIXQ in Millersville, Pennsylvania, the one and only Dr. Ralph Doc Rock Antonin. Doc, how are you doing today? Well, Shane, I'm not going to be totally up to snuff because I got my booster shot yesterday uh, from uh, Mordorna, I guess it was, and my shoulder is sore and I had chills and a little bit of fever, but that's gone away. Mama got hit a little bit harder. She's out there resting. So in case you wonder where I'm at, I'm in the laundry room because the cleaning woman is upstairs and Mama's downstairs and the only space available for Doc is in the laundry room. So that's where I'm uh, right now. But I'm feeling good and I'm anxious to hear from Matt Kahn because he likes the way I think I said his name. Promise Station Absolutely. member of WIXQ, Matt Kahn. We are joined by Matt Kahn. He is a former college radio station manager, of course, at our college radio station, 91.7 WIXQ. And since his time in college, he has worked up and down the Mid-Atlantic region with University Communications at a number of different universities, where he's currently the Assistant Dean for Communications at the University of Maryland School of Social Work. And Doc, you and I have commonly talked about how there's a number of former WIXQers that have gone to work in education and in university communications after their days in college radio. Yep, and we even have people got their doctorates and there's English professors, there's all kinds of people. And Matt is an interesting one because he has stayed in higher ed much like uh, Doc stayed in this, uh, found out that I guess Matt loved higher education. Well, I didn't, I didn't intend to be in higher education. Um, I got into higher education after my first child was born. I was working in broadcasting at the time for WSBA and 1103 over in York County as a, a news and sportscaster, but uh, not being able to see my, my oldest daughter, uh, my wife and I, we worked different shifts. York College had an opening for a news bureau editor, and I applied for it. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but I got the job. I convinced them that, that I was the right person, and I've been you know, working in higher ed- higher education ever since. That was about 1992, I think. That was shortly after your days in, in college radio, but Matt, I have to say thank you so much for joining us today on Scholastic Transmission. Sure, it's great to be here, and the, the invite really brought back a a flood of memories, uh, and I'm very grateful for that. One of my uh, earliest memories at the college radio station, because I am basically a college radio slash WIXQ historian in my own right, because I wanted to learn about the history of it all at at WIXQ. And you were one of the first names that I remember Doc bringing up to me, yourself and the late Keith Rank, on the daring, the daring, I, I don't know how I want to put it, the branding of the station, because we're bringing you on after we talk about how you can brand your college radio station. And Doc told me early on about how WIXQ went off the air forever and they came back as Q92. And it was such a headache for him. But knowing, knowing the impact that you had on local radio and college radio in our area at Millersville, We had to bring you on, especially when we talk about uh, station branding and especially considering that this interview is dropping pretty close to the 32nd anniversary of WIXQ going off the air forever and relaunching as Q92. It was the perfect timing. That's great. I love it. I love it. So I'd like to I'd like to ask you here, Matt, before we dive into the headache that was Q92 for Doc, at least. For Doc, at least, because I know he's he's talked about this time and time again about oh, all these gray hairs that I have. Um, and before we talk about your, <laughs> you may not be able to see it, but Matt is also pointing at the gray hairs in his head as well. Uh, but before we dive into your days working within education as well, I'd like to ask you about your beginnings, because you were a comm major, but you didn't exactly start out at Millersville University even before that. Where does your love of radio begin? What drew you into the college radio station? Well, I think it really started early in my childhood. I would um, just take an old radio in my grandparents' basement or my in my parents' house. So we had a big old uh, dock, or remember the big old stereo consoles that you had in your living room that had the record player and the radio all there. And it was about the size of a small car. 
And I would just spend evenings just turning the dial, seeing what I could hear from other places. And I was not as interested as much as hearing what AM stations in my area were doing. You know, back then in the day, maybe it's still the case, you could pick up WHO out of Iowa, WBZ out of Boston, and you could just listen to all these other places. And I, could, I just thought it was so, so interesting to hear people from so far away. I was just fascinated by it. Uh, I was never fascinated by the, like the, the typical FM disc jockey person. That's not my personality, but um, the fact of being known, I think was important to me. I was the fourth child out of five. And if you're, if you're the third or fourth out of five, you're pretty much not recognized by anybody else because the baby or the oldest are causing all the problems. Uh, so it, for, for me, it was a great way to have an identity. So as I grew older, I never lost the habit of scanning the dial, listening to what I could find and it would break into short wave. And I'd listen to radio stations all over the world. At night, I would really try When I was in my high school years at night, I would really try to get a station out of Washington, D.C. called WHFS. For those who remember WHFS, that was probably one of the first radio stations in the country that tried the college format uh, professionally. You know, that was their format, no different than WLAN, FM 97, their formats, pop top 40. This station's format was college radio. And they had really, really interesting disc jockeys and you wouldn't hear the music and they'd give you the stories behind it. And, it, and that was just enticing just to try to be like, be that person. So, uh, when I started at Towson University, that the, literally the first week I was in the college radio station asking, what can I do to be a part of this? Uh, and then that continued at Millersville. And um, it's, it's a love that I had. It's a love that I continue to have. It's very special. It's very, very special. So talk about your days at Towson University, because you had told us earlier in our pregame that you would become a disc jockey there. And you had actually worked at the AM station before going into the FM station before you transferred over to Millersville. Tell us about that process. How did you get involved there? I met a person uh, at one of my first college parties. It was the, literally the first weekend. It, and the subject came up. I think he was wearing a T-shirt from the radio station. And I asked him, hey, how can I get involved with that? And he said, well, the station's located in the basement of the library. Just stop by. And so I did. And they were a very professionally run college radio station. They had, a, you know, the program director, the station manager, they had a news department. They had three studios in this facility, which was amazing. Uh, they had the AM studio, the FM studio, and then they had a production studio as well. Then they had a suite of offices. They took this very seriously. And so I went in, I had to you know, spend, spend some time learning the system, learning how they did things, how they logged all the songs they played, all that stuff. And I finally got to be on the AM side of the, the radio, which at the time was pretty much just broadcast on campus uh, in the student union and in the dorms and places like that. And after my first show on the AM, the FM program director came out as I was getting ready to leave. He goes, you're going to FM. You don't need to spend any more time in AM. I was really honored by that. I was also scared to death because Towson was probably the number two station in the region in terms of college radio. WHFS was number one. They were the king. I mean, they were getting great ratings. Uh, and now I'm going to be on uh, Towson station. Okay. It was very nervous, uh, but I, I loved it. I can remember playing songs, playing Echo and the Bunnymen, playing them and just, um, having a great time doing it. And then the people that you get to meet, I interviewed um, Jim Kerr of Simple Minds one day when he was promoting the Breakfast Club movie and the song. Worst interview I ever did. We never aired it because it was just got awful, but one of the highlights for me. So when I came to Millersville, I took a year off from school. I was an economics major at, at Towson, just tended to be good at that, but it was kind of boring to me and came to after a year of taking a year off, I went back to Millersville and decided, you know what, I want to do communications. I want to do marketing. I want to do public relations work. And at the same time, I want to get back into college radio because I really missed it. And WIXQ just had some really great people down there who just 
immediately welcomed you. They, they, no one cared who you were, what your backstory was. Uh, they didn't care about your, your income level or the way you dressed. The minute you walked in that door, you were one of them. And that was a wonderful experience. And it just encouraged me to become more of a part uh, as I was finishing up, both, I guess, my last two and a half years at Noahsville. I have to ask you, Matt, how did your experiences at Towson translate when you transferred over to Millersville and got involved with WIXQ? What did you take away from their radio station and how did you apply it at Millersville station? Yeah, um, the one thing that I noticed was I was always the, the, you know, we're talking the 1980s here, you know, mullets everywhere and, uh, you know, new wave and punk rock is starting to fade, but you're starting to get some other types of music starting. I was still your, your clean cut suburban kid, you know, playing, um, playing music. But I, I did yearn for a more professional approach to college radio. At least I did that in my show. When I was doing my show, I, mean, I wanted to hit the marks. I wanted to make sure that the, the transition from one song to the next matched, you know, the, beat, the, the beats per minute were, were so close enough that I could make it work. And that the drop that I put in, that would be like the, the top of the hour broadcast of UIXQ, Motorsville. You know, the music, it just flowed. And I wanted, even when I was presenting the weather or talking about the news or talking about an, uh, an artist, I wanted it to be professional. And so in some ways, I was a little unique in that, uh, in that role at the school because there were some really great um, disc jockeys there who were, were professional in their own way, but not in the way that I would have been. Um, but they had great shows, had fantastic shows. So what all did you play on your show then, Matt? I was uh, really into 1980s, the European alternative music. Duran Duran had just become popular maybe in the 84, 85. So I, I was into them, but then the more popular they became, the less I liked them. Uh, Lloyd Cole, I love Lloyd Cole. I'd play a lot of Lloyd Cole. U2, I would play a lot of uh, The Alarm. Remember that great band, The Alarm from the 1980s and Mike Peters. Um, Simple Minds. Uh, let's see what else. What I would even play. I'd play a real variety. I'd even throw Marshall Crenshaw in there. And Marshall Crenshaw is definitely not a 1980s new wave artist, but um, his, his songs fit the show. So those were probably my biggest artists at the time. Oh, the last one. The last one is um, and probably the, the best band that I ever played on the show was Prefab Sprout. Boy, they, they were fantastic. And I know nobody else was playing them. I know that for a fact. <laughs> and to me, that's where the true value of college radio lies. The students can play whatever they want to play. They're putting their own personal taste out there for everybody to hear. Some bands get their start in college radio thanks to the students. Some go on to the big time. Some probably never even make it past college radio. But the beauty of it lies behind the DJ and being vulnerable, putting their own personal taste out there for everybody to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. Maybe looking back in some ways, I'm pretty much an introvert. Uh, and introverts working in public relations is an interesting mix. Uh, my wife has never understood how I've made it work, but uh, I have. And so the music spoke for me. The lyrics had to mean something to me and say something that I felt was either on my mind or in my heart. So if the lyrics were, were great and the music was great, I'm playing it because in some way it was touching my soul. And there were, there are others out there that I was hoping would have the same experience. I absolutely feel that because I've been doing it lately. Thanks to this podcast, the fine people at WIXQ have allowed me to come back and relive my glory days at the college radio station. And I can do a college radio show every week. Every Saturday night from 7 to 10 p.m. right after Doc and Mama Rock on WIXQ. Because the people at the station kind of view this podcast as free promotion for WIXQ. So they said, hey, why don't you come on back? So I'm taking advantage of it. And no matter what the song is or the decade that I'm in, because by the way, I rock through the decades every single week playing the best, the worst, and the unknown from a different decade in rock and or roll. But no matter the decade, no matter the song, I put out what I'm feeling, 
how I was feeling during times of great pleasure, great satisfaction, and times of, of deep and darn lows. But again, that just goes to show the beauty of college radio. The DJs are the ones picking the tunes and putting their own personal touches on it all. And that's what I truly appreciate about it all. I mean, if we're being really honest, if we if we go back to the 1970s and the 1980s and the college radio environment, they moved the market more than people think. The artists that they played, they were playing a year or two before that you would they become big. You know, let's let's use U2 as an example. Okay. U2, huge college band, huge college band. The police, huge college radio band, ended up being the, the, the defining bands of the 80s decades. College radio has that power. It, it has that ability to change a culture, really. And a lot of these DJs in college radio are probably just a few years ahead of everybody else in terms of trends. Grunge, grunge radio was the same way. You know, after grunge, I pretty much got out of the music and I didn't follow as much. I kind of stuck with the artists that I, I already liked. So I kind of dropped off the, the, the planet there in terms of that. But yeah, I, I wish college radio was able to influence um, top 40 and culture a little bit more than it used to in the 70s and 80s. Everything was coming together in the late 80s. Everything was coming together and we were starting to see for the first time people branding themselves. You're starting to see the Michael Jordan brand. You're starting to see everything was about image. So you had, you had MTV, you had the music, you had the, the image. All of that became a commodity. It's hard to explain just that impacted everybody. Everybody wanted to have an image. They wanted to be recognized. They wanted to have something to be known for. And we still deal with that today for the good and for the bad. But the college radio disc jockeys, that I think for them was, and I think I said it earlier, it was absolutely their voice. As you said earlier, you believe that anybody could walk into that radio station and feel like they were at home. Why was that? And what was the culture like at the radio station during that time? When I first got there, there was some contention, I think, around a disc jockey who resigned on air. I think that was probably my first semester with the radio station. I wasn't an officer at the time. I was just someone who liked to hang out down there um, between classes, um, just talk with people. The culture, you had some really great people. And I think these people are important to mention. And I wrote them down because I didn't want to forget them. But you had, you had Matt Cleveland. Yeah, he still, he still uh, does disc jockey work to this day. Very impactful with a, a tremendous show. Wes Lynn, I think Wes Lynn was probably the most impactful person I met at WIXQ. And Wes, at the time, appeared to me to be like the the forever student. He was always taking a class, but he seemed to be about 10 years older than everybody else. And we're all like, what are you still doing here? But he was always taking classes and always doing radio. But he and I, we would go to uh, some concerts together or he'd he'd arrange that I could get tickets, uh, backstage passes to concerts. Some other disc jockeys that I remember real well, Chris Sciatta, uh, Paul Kelly, Ed Whitlock, Jen Wenrich, um, Mark Wolf. Uh, Doc remembers Mark Wolf. Actually ran into Mark Wolf at a train station in, in Madison, in New York City, Penn Station in New York City. I ran into Mark Wolf. Couldn't believe it. So, yeah, there was just everybody, everybody was open and welcoming and everyone was respectful. Russ McCree was still there at the time and everyone, it was just, it wasn't really a family. It was more of like, we're all in this together and we just, we just want to enjoy this and let's all make it work. And then as my role changed within the station and as things were happening, I found myself in the station manager role. And what I like to do is I like to experiment. Uh, I just like to experiment with different things and different ideas and you know, sometimes that fails, sometimes that works. Um, I think in the case of WIXQ and the people there and the personalities that were there at the time, it was a perfect mixture to move the college radio station forward. I think it really was. Before I dive into your time as station manager, before we talk about that experimentation that you had, why do you think WIXQ appealed to so many different people? I would say in some ways... In the 1980s, people were looking 
for alternative things. Uh, they were rebelling against the society, not nearly as much as they were in the 1960s and early 70s, but a, a, a large number of people, you know, for the first time could dye their hair blue and walk in public. They could wear, you know, all the, the black leather and, and the chains and have the nose ring. Uh, what we don't, we don't even pay attention to now in the 1980s, that was like, whoa, even like in the, in the gay community, just starting to come out and speak just, and a lot of the music talked about that. You had songs being written. Let's talk about the Smiths. The Smiths from the 1980s were huge. That empowered others to do the same. So it really changed a lot of things. I very much enjoyed talking to our guest and learning a little bit about the culture of the radio station during that time and getting some insight, especially considering that I wasn't around during some of these times and hear how things were ever changing and ever evolving and how we can look back on that time and we can look back on culture and have that to thank for the things that we take for granted today. So it's interesting hearing your take on that and hearing how culture really shaped the radio station and shaped generations upon generations for the future. Now, I do want to transition away from that and bring up something that you had mentioned earlier, and you had said that you had a deep love for radio. Did that have any effect on you as you decided to take that next step and become a leader, become the station manager of WIXQ? I always wanted to be a leader. I always wanted to be not necessarily the person in charge, but among the people making the decisions. And in high school, there was an organization called Junior Achievement, which was kind of a, like a business-based program for high school students to meet once a week. They'd make a project and they try to sell it in their community and they would teach them all the basics of production and accounting and inventory and all of that. And I just remember thinking, I don't want to be making these wind chimes. I'd much rather be sitting out in the, the lounge just talking to the others about how we're going to sell them. And so, um, and that's not a knock on people who do production. I just knew it wasn't, wasn't me. I just felt it's going to be easier for me if I'm out there. And so, yeah, I've always wanted to find my place uh, towards the top. And that, that continues to this day. And there's benefits to that. And there's definitely drawbacks to that. But yeah, I always wanted to be, always wanted to be the leader. I come from a very competitive family. My uh, younger brother is a CEO. Uh, my older brother is a three-star admiral. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's lots of um, good, healthy pressure to be your best. And so that's, I guess, what I was trying to do. <laughs> so why did the station manager position appeal to you then? What made the gears turn in your head and think, man, I can grow this thing? A couple things. One, it was like, okay, well, this will, this will be good on the resume. You know, I want to go into radio when I graduate. I was already doing some work with WSBA and Warm 103 at the time. I had the chance to um, help cover a, a very large prison riot that took place in Pennsylvania at the time. And I just thought it was, thought it was really cool to be a part of what was going on being among the first to know. And so being the station manager was beneficial because not only did it give me some access and a, a larger voice on campus with the campus officials, but it also allowed me to say, you know what? I want to experiment with WIXQ. Are there others here at the station that feel the same way? And those conversations started uh, with the late, great Keith Rank, Wes Lynn, Mark Wolf, and others at the station that were like, no, I think we could do something really special at this station. I mean, it was playing great music, but from a marketing way, were we able to raise awareness of the station uh, in ways that opened the door for others in the community to, to listen to us or to explore their own college radio option when they went to school? It was, a, I don't know, Doc, would you say it was more like a, an incubator that we had in the 80s where just a lot of people were there and they all had great ideas and they all wanted to work together to make them happen? Yeah, that was a great period. And I'm going to give uh, the name Keith Rank came up. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Yeah. But you two, Keith and you, were a perfect symbiotic relationship uh, of a station manager and a program director. 
you've already hit upon this. You were more conservative. You've got to admit yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you even came in looking like a coat and a tie guy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then you met Keith Rank, mm-hmm. who was everywhere, off the wall, over the place, right? Yeah. And he was wild and crazy dude, okay? You were a great, great pair for me. In spite of the gray hair you caused me, you <laughs> epitomize what I wanted to see happen. Because I don't know if you knew this, but I have a rebellious quality in me. Really? Yes. <laughs> and I do not like establishment. I don't know if you know that. I, I can re- I can have some rec- recollections of establishment. Um, yes, I do. Okay. So when you came up with that idea, unbeknownst to you, that the idea was brilliant. The Q92 brand, which you promoted in the snap and everything. Doc was behind the scenes getting frantic phone calls from the student <laughs> senate wanting to know what the hell are you guys doing down there in the basement? We're going to take your funding away from you. Yeah. And I remember very, no, 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 just hold on. This is just before Thanksgiving, right? And, yep. and I think you planned it this way. We did. We absolutely yes, did. did. I can remember Keith and I talking about this. And then Doc was fielding questions from the vice president for student affairs, who had a good relationship with Gary Reichert. And I said, Gary, we've gone this far. Can you trust Doc a little bit more? (laughs) This is not going to blow up. Because he was was at that time, I think, even advising the student senate. Okay. And they were the source of our money. And so I was on this, this, what would you call it, tightrope that you guys put me on. Yeah. Saying, okay, okay, guys, guys, just trust me. Matt and Keith aren't going to destroy it, okay? No, no, and we, I mean, we were just sitting in the lounge of, of the old radio station, just talking about how can we generate more awareness of, of the station, the ability to maybe re-energize the station on campus and in the community. Because if, if you remember at the time, in the ni- late 1980s, Lancaster was a significant music scene. I mean, you had bands like Ocean Blue, you had the Innocence Mission, both signed on major labels. So the Lancaster music scene with them and the Chameleon Nightclub was really, really popping. And so Keith and I were like, well, how can we just get more people to know about us? And we just hatched that plan to tell everybody we're going to just go off the air. We're done, you know, small station, you know, it's all over. And then uh, uh, come back, was it come back right in the beginning of the new year? I think it was, or right after no, Thanksgiving. In December, December. It was in December. We just, Keith and I and a whole bunch of other people just made a whole bunch of drops just announcing Q92, daring to be different. And I got a call from the Lancaster newspaper and the Lancaster newspaper had already interviewed like real program directors from radio stations saying, oh, this is just, you know, this isn't the right thing to do in this market. Um, They're not, they wasn't well thought of, wasn't thought through. And Keith and I were like, this is exactly what we planned for. (laughs) So we had the the local newspaper that went out to about 20,000 people doing a nice big article on the radio station and college radio. And just changing, just, we just changed what we said about ourselves. That's all we did. (laughs) We didn't change disc jockeys. We just changed what we said about ourselves and how we felt. We were, we felt like we were daring to be different and it it just resonated. Boy, did it resonate. And I can remember looking at um, like the the ratings that would come out quarterly, you know, and WISQ because it's such a small signal, you know, you, you just hope that it shows up. In, in the ratings, because the Nielsen book, you just hope someone in Millersville is listening and writing it down. But it did. It, I mean, it, it bumped up the charts and people really started listening. And people were talking about more phone calls they would get during their shows for requests. And, and uh, it was just, it was, a, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Yeah, it was wonderful for you guys, but you didn't know behind the scenes the heat I was taking. Well, you know, um, it... Uh, I thought the bottom line is I supported you guys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we love that. And um, the funny part about that is, you know, life, e- I have a saying that life evens out. Doc, I, I work in college communications now. So you, you know, the headaches that, that oh, yeah. I have to deal with all almost on a daily basis. So. 
<laughs> Students are so much fun. <laughs> yes. And I loved you kids for doing that because the rebelliousness, I was also with you guys in the rebellion, but I couldn't tell anybody. Yeah. I, uh, Keith would help lead me along in the rebellion. And then I would help rein him in. So really, as you said, it really was a perfect relationship. Um, he was at my wedding and I was just devastated when, when he passed absolutely devastated and, and still am. Yeah. It, 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 he was one of my favorites, obviously also. Yeah. And, and I was devastated when what happened happened, obviously. And we're yeah. not going to get into it, but Keith was just one of the most creative kids I've ever met in my life. Just a yeah. really great creative kid. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Keith rank certainly had an impact on 91.7 WIXQ. He had an impact on Central Pennsylvania when he was on the air as Keith Patrick on I-105 WIOV, and he still has an impact on our college radio station today with the Rank Rock Scholarship in his honor given to the leaders of 91.7 WIXQ each and every year. So I'm so glad that we can keep his memory alive and honor him and honor all of his contributions to local radio in Central PA. Turning the tide here a little bit, Matt, I do have to ask you, because Q92 was a problem for Doc. It was a great publicity tool for yourself in this station, but considering it was a problem for Doc, I do want to stick on the topic of problems, because during your time as station manager, you did have a problem where the transmitter went down, and you had to rely on others to make sure that you could get things back up and on the air. So how did you rely on your station members to grow the station, to solve problems, and come together to make the station stronger? I think one of the, one of the skills I've been blessed with is that I, in times of crisis, I actually get very calm. And most of the time, most of the time, I tend to get very calm and can see things um, in a certain way. So when the transmitter goes down, you know, immediately the, the disc jockey is like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? There were no cell phones in those days. You know, um, you just had to turn the radio on and hear that there was nothing there to know that you needed to get down to the station and figure out what was going on. And I don't remember the name of the, I don't remember the station that stepped up and gave us some equipment so we could get back on the air. Do you, Doc? Do you remember who it was? Uh Yes, I do remember the situation where our engineer, Nelson Keppeling, who's still yeah. the engineer. You remember Nelson? Yeah, I remember Nelson. Yeah, he was the engineer back then. And uh, behind the scenes, I said to Nelson, uh, what do we got to do now? And he <laughs> said, yeah. well, I'll get this station. They have an extra one and they'll, uh, they'll, they'll donate it to us to use in the meantime when we're, the smack expansion occurs, okay? Yeah. I have a feeling it was the Spanish station. Okay. Well, I, I never knew what station it was. I was just I was just grateful that that the radio industry recognized that this was an important part of the community and said, hey, we're gonna help you out. Because at that time, and it may still be the case, we were getting a lot of our staff members hired professionally. We really were. Not only in the radio station, but in the communications department at, at Millersville in general there were students getting some really great jobs. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be one of the, the lucky ones to, to get a great job, right? I had a job before I graduated and, and experience, professional experience in radio. So that's one stress. That's one stress of being able to just calm down and try to figure out what the logical next steps need to be. And then communicating that calmness to, to the rest so they know exactly what's going on and and when they'll be back on the air. I'm trying to think what we did a earthquake relief effort because there was that huge earthquake, I think, during the World Series when we were on the air. But Doc, I don't remember any other major crises. You, no, had, no, no, no. you had people that said stupid stuff every now and then. <laughs> but uh, you would have that. I mean, every era had that person, that yeah. person who wanted to be Howard Stern Jr but had no yeah. talent to be it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It takes talent to do that, folks. You got to have some talent. You just yeah. can't get up there and start swearing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the other thing, I think maybe the hardest thing we to get people to do was the logs. It wasn't computerized back then. We had to handwrite every song and we were, we played into these logs. It was very tedious and because we had to file the paperwork with the publishing company every year and 
most of the disc jockeys just wouldn't do it. So that was, that was probably my biggest headache. <laughs> so Matt, I think this serves as a great transition point to go into your work within education. And you had said earlier that you did work at radio for a little bit afterwards, after you had graduated. But of course, now you've been working up and down the Mid-Atlantic region doing a variety of public relations and university communications. What appealed to you about using your craft, not only within radio, but your education at Millersville University to go work at various universities for the past number of years? Yeah, I think what I, what I found out pretty early on when I became the news bureau editor at your college is that even though I wasn't spinning records, I could still be creative in terms of um, my work and how I did my work. And I still was had a, a fantastic uh, boss at the time. Her name is Deb Magny. And she allowed me to grow into the role. And part of that growth was me experimenting with story ideas and, and whatnot and how I pitch stories. I didn't pitch PR stories in the traditional ways, like the press release and you know, sending out the press release to 500 places and hoping one hits. Um, one time there was a, a picture taken in the York newspaper of one of our faculty members standing in front of her garden. And it was just, it was just a photo caption story. That's all it was, three or four lines. She brought seeds back from, legally brought seeds back from other countries and would see how they grow in Pennsylvania. It was a beautiful picture. I mean, it was a striking picture. Fantastic. I bought a couple editions of the paper, cut out the picture, and sent it to uh, Better Homes and Gardens. And all I wrote on it was, wouldn't this be a great story? I didn't include all the, the York College, uh, you know, we're, we're a college educating people since 1877, and we have you know, 500 students, and none, none of that. Wouldn't this be a great story? And they called me within a week. They had her on the cover of their magazines. She ended up being Pennsylvania's liaison for the Department of Agriculture when it came into terms of flowers coming in from other countries. Uh, she was asked to write a book. And to me, it was just another extension of being creative. That's the way I wanna do it. I wanna do something different. I wanna be recognized as different. And that pitch certainly was different. And I got to practice those skills every day at WIXQ. So it served me well. I still do it today. I, had, I you know, worked for one of the largest graduate schools of social work in the nation. You know, higher education is, is a slow moving animal. Uh, doesn't move fast and uh, doesn't like different. And uh, we have a new dean and he asked me what my thoughts were in terms of publications and online publication and web presence and we're undertaking some big projects right now. And I said, I just want to be different. Just want to be different. Because when we are, when we use the voice that we have inside of us, good things happen. Good things happen. And the rate college radio station is just an environment for that to take place. It's almost, uh, it's almost, it's a, it's a healing environment when I really think about it. It really is. I have to ask you, Matt. For somebody who might be out there looking to get involved within university communication, say that they work in college radio or say that they just have an interest in it in general, what advice would you give to someone who's looking to enter that field and kind of be a little bit different like yourself? Wow, that's a, that's a good question. University communications is a it's a stable field. So, you know, let's not kid anybody. Radio, television is a tough field to be in for families just is. There's long hours, time away, uh, weekend work. My wife works 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. and I worked 4 p.m. to midnight. It's that kind of, it can be that kind of environment except for uh, a select few. In working in higher education, what's great is you're helping to tell the story of, of the future. And so having that ability every day to come in and say, Honestly, honestly say, what can I do today that makes the world better in terms of the work that our faculty are doing in terms of teaching or research or what a student is doing in terms of their life experience that they share with others? Alumni who are tremendously successful, 
or alumni that are working really hard in, in really hard conditions, making a difference in the world. And having that ability every day is, is great. I, but it does come in any profession, in any profession. There's always, always garbage you have to deal with. Don't, don't waste your time looking for perfection. It doesn't exist, right, Doc? No, it doesn't exist. And I, I was enthralled with that whole conversation, Matt, because you epitomize what Doc always thought college radio should be. So thank you, Matt. Sure, thank you. Aside from that creativity element, Matt, what else do you use from your days in college radio within your craft? I think mostly, oftentimes I'll look at, um, like if I'm looking for inspiration, like for a design project, oh, what's Lloyd Cole doing on his CDs lately? Or uh, that's a neat album design. I kind of like that. Or that website that they did is really cool. I like that feature. I do do that. (laughs) I do do that. And so the artists of your life, I think, are formed in high school and college. Uh, And once once you're out of college or you start hitting your mid to late 20s, not for all, but for many, the the ability to take in new artists kind of stops and you're left with the bands that help write your life story. And so always listening to them, um, always listening to artists that they recommend to try to find some new things. And that way I have, I found some great artists that I really love, but um, terms of my work, I will look and see how the artists um, use design Um, use web design, variety of things. Not too often, but I I have done it. I have done it. I remember I designed a a newsletter. This was pre-electronic. This was 19, no, this was 2001, 2001. So we still weren't doing, you know, online publications. We were still doing print. And I just remember Simple Minds, which is one of my favorite bands, did this really cool looking design for one of their albums that came out and I was like, no, nah, I'm copying that. I really like it. I really like it. And that's what our newsletter looked like for like two years. <laughs> I really like that. I really do because I commonly say it throughout this podcast and I commonly say it on our social media pages, especially on Instagram through Instagram stories, because I share what different college radio stations are doing from all across the globe. And any idea that a station is doing that you really like that really resonates with you, Toss it around to your station council. See if they're interested in doing the same or something similar and make it your own. Because we're all in this together to preserve, promote, and continue to grow college radio. Yeah, and and look look what has happened. I mean, you look at like WXPN out of Philadelphia, college radio station. They've got transmitters all over the area, all over the mid-Atlantic. Huge college radio station. Um, those are the things that are possible, and they still play what they want which is fantastic. As we start to wrap things up here, Matt, what are some of your favorite memories from your days at WYXQ and Q92? I think um, my favorite memories were probably just the little things. We're we're just the the lunch with Keith or other members of the staff going to to concerts with Wes Lynn. And this is a funny story with Wes. We're driving down to Baltimore and we're driving down Interstate 83. And, you know, if you drive Interstate 83, you're driving 70, 75 miles an hour. And here's Wes in his car driving 55 miles an hour down Interstate 83. It's killing me. It's killing me that he's going this slow. And I was like, why, why don't you speed up? He's like, well, if I get another speeding ticket, I'll lose my license. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so just, just things like that. Um, I know when I was at WIXQ, probably one of the best experiences was um, back then you'd have record reps that would stop by and drop off uh, records for you to play uh, or send it to you in the mail with a note. And then we'd call them up and they'd be in Philadelphia or New York. And they would ask you, you know, which, hey, these bands are on tour. Anybody you want to see? And I remember asking to see a, a band called Deacon Blue which is a fantastic band. They're, they're um, Scottish. One of their biggest hit songs was voted the best song ever in Scotland and uh, just in the last year. And they still together, they still perform. He's on the BBC hosting a, an Americana music radio show. But I say, yeah, if they can blue ever comes to town, I'd love to see them. And so my then girlfriend and now wife 
we drove to Philadelphia to see Deacon Blue. And we were probably one of a dozen people in the audience. And to see them perform flat out 100% for 12 people, uh, and then to go backstage and hang out just for a while, that was, that was fabulous. Did the same with a, a band called The Proclaimers, uh, 500 miles from the Shrek movie, but um, that we couldn't understand a word they said. It's such a huge Irish accent. You could not understand a word they said. And so um, it, was just, it was just great times. It was just, it's, you're in college. You have lots of freedom. You don't have all these responsibilities and all these bills. Most, most of the college students don't. Oh, my God, take advantage of it, please. Take advantage of it. Oh, I know. I look back on my time in college and I look ahead to what life has in store for me. And I think, man, take me back. Take me back. And as you reflect back on your life, Matt, what do you believe you wouldn't have today if it wasn't for college radio? I think I would have been looking back like I missed something. Missed something important. And not having a way to share this naive super conservative <laughs> jacket and tie kind of college student to share his voice because his voice was not being heard. He felt alone. He felt very lonely. And to be able to sit for a couple hours each week, knowing that I was talking to somebody through the music made me feel special. I miss it. One last question here for you, Matt. As you look back on your days in college radio at a couple different stations, as you look back on the people that you've worked with, as you look on the people that you've worked with today and how you use elements of college radio in your craft today, and as you look at today's generation and how much they enjoy college radio, why do you believe people, whether or not it's the people that are in college radio, the universities, the public, anybody, why do you believe people should support college radio? In some ways, it's a lifesaver. In some ways, it's a lifesaver. Um, don't underestimate how big of impact it was sitting there a couple hours a week talking through my music. Think about Keith Rank, his voice. That's what it is to me. That's what it was to me. To others, it was fun, you know, get to be a disc jockey. Hey, whatever. But yeah, I never really thought about it this way, Shane. I really, really didn't. And I appreciate the question. It's a lifesaver. Matt Kahn, thank you so much for joining Scholastic Transmission, a college radio podcast. Well, it's been we great being here. I just love it and uh, love talking to you, Shane. And Doc, it's so wonderful to hear your voice again. And uh, it's been it's been too long, but I haven't made it to Millersville in a long time. Last time I was there, I didn't even recognize the place. You won't recognize it now at all. Yeah. You really won't recognize except WIXQ would still be there. Good. And you might still recognize that. Yeah. There is a time I am enticed by the alumni appeals, uh, like, hey, come host WIXQ for an hour. And um, it's really enticing. I, I might have to might have to do that. See if there's people out there that still want to listen to what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but as I say, you'll always be welcome. And who loves you? Doc and Mama do. That's right. Doc and Mama do. You know, we talk a lot about the impact that college radio has on everybody. And Matt, for somebody who had that love of college radio, for somebody who had the love of music, for somebody who wanted to get creative and be experimental, but somebody who wanted to be a leader, I'm so glad that we were able to sit down with you here today and have you tell your story and just how much your time in college radio, both at Towson and both at Millersville University, meant to you. So thank you again for joining us and taking time out of your schedule. Thank, thank you for, for, for having me. It's been very special and uh, I'm, I'm very grateful for the memories that you and Doc both started rustling around in my brains again and for the, for the questions that you asked. It's, um, I'm, I'm very touched. Thank you. You are quite welcome, Matt. This was undoubtedly a special interview today and I'm very glad that we could take part in this. You know, throughout this podcast, we mentioned the Q92 incident, if you want to call it that, the Q92 branding, and how that occurred going into Thanksgiving break. This edition of the podcast is dropping the week before Thanksgiving in 2021, so I think a great point coming out of this podcast is to lean more into that Thanksgiving theme 
and come together and talk about what we're thankful for here on Scholastic Transmission. What do you think about that one, Doc? That's a perfect idea because I'm actually going to buy my turkey today because I've heard rumors that turkeys will be in short supply. And I want to make sure I get my turkey before Thanksgiving. If you can't get your turkey, Doc, we will happily have you over here at the Garcia household so you can have some turkey. Because through my job, through my one job that I have, I get free turkey every year. So I would happily. I do, yes. Well, Shane, I don't want to invite myself, but if I don't get a turkey, you know where I'm going to go. You are coming down to the Garcia household and we'll have you... Well, in fact, Doc, I think some people might say that you are the turkey sometimes. Well, I am a big turkey. (laughs) As you have seen throughout these podcasts, I was not always in favor with uh, lots of people. You know what I mean? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I was daring to be different. And that can get you in trouble. And I was in trouble a lot. Well, hey, I hope next week we don't get into any trouble and we just simply talk about what we're thankful for. And it's going to be about anything, whether or not it's about the podcast, college, radio, or anything that's going on in life. And I'm looking forward to talking to you and having a nice heart-to-heart conversation, Doc. Yep, and I'm looking forward to doing it because I am thankful for so many things. And, of course, you know the latest thing that I'm really thankful for is my little great-grandson. And he listens to us, Doc. I talked to your son, his grandfather, the other day. And he had just mentioned that every time that we release a new podcast, they're always listening to Scholastic Transmission. Yeah, I wonder what he'll remember. I mean, he's got to turn one uh, before Thanksgiving. I wonder if his brain will remember his great-grandfather and his podcast venture, which he knew nothing about, but seems to be working, Shane, because of you. I'm thankful for you. Thank you, Doc. And I'm thankful for you and everything that you have ever done. For any student, any person that you have ever met through through your existence here on this earth, but let's not get get it too ahead of ourselves. Yeah, here. Let's, let's say that out, Shane. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Stop! Stop! So let's come back next time for that. But in the meantime, you can stay up to date with Scholastic Transmission by following us all across social media at College Radio Pod, and be sure to share the podcast with your friends, your family, and anybody that loves college radio. Now, before we go today, Doc, is there anything else that you would like to talk about with Matt Kahn here today? No, great reminiscing, great time. And as I get older, I reminisce more and more. And I actually had a little lump in my throat when we were talking about Keith. I mean, Keith was a very, very special guy. I'm glad we were able to to talk about him today and bring on Matt Kahn and talk about what a wonderful time it was for WIXQ back in the late 80s into the early 90s with Matt and Keith at the helm. So until next time, when we talk about what we're thankful for here on Scholastic Transmission, for Dr. Ralph Dockrock Antonin and Matt Kahn, I'm Shane Garcia. Thank you so much for listening to Scholastic Transmission, a college radio podcast. Class is dismissed.